Welcome to the Reuse Me Name podcast. I am, as always, Jordan. With me on the show this evening, we have Rachel. Hello. And Sam. Hello. Tonight on the show, we're going to be ta- uh, doing our standard news roundup. We're going to be talking about uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., and we're going to be discussing uh, an ongoing topic of, of debate that uh, we've had among the staff on the uh, differences between political and moral responsibility of creators and their creative autonomy. This is sort of a, a headier thing that we've been sort of bouncing around for a while. We're going to get into that a little bit. So stick with us throughout the hour. I think it's going to be a good one. Um, this week on our news write-up, we're going to do something fairly unusual. We're just going to hand things over to you, Sam, and we're going to give you a couple minutes to talk about uh, one of the bigger stories this week. So why don't we just toss toss it over to you? Uh, yeah, among... Uh... Probably one of the bigger news stories this week, probably not the biggest news story, but is the death of Marsha Wallace, who most people, I think, from my generation know her as Edna Krabappel from The Simpsons. And she passed away at 70, and she was she was a breast cancer survivor for, I think, like 28 years, and she wrote a book about it. And uh, she died, uh, I guess it's this week, but who knows by by the time you this podcast comes out. And, uh, you know, I just wanted to talk a little bit about, you know, her contributions to The Simpsons. And I think it's amazing that she, she, she always felt like, for me, like a part of the main cast, even though she was actually just kind of a... In reality, she was just a guest star who was on so, so much. She played Bart's teacher, so of course she would be she would be on the show a lot. And I think IMDb has her being on the show for 170 episodes, and I think it's kind of amazing. She has 170 episodes of, on The Simpsons as a guest star, and most most actors on successful television series won't be on 170 episodes of their own show, let alone have someone be a guest star on that much. And I think this is probably the biggest hit, you know, the Simpsons cast has taken since uh, Phil Hartman's very untimely death years ago. And the, uh, the showrunner has already stated that um, her her character is going to be retired much like they retired um, Phil Hartman's characters, Lionel Hutz and Troy McClure. Um, so it'll be, it'll be interesting and sad, mostly sad to see kind of how the show deals with this, whether they deal with it at all, because Bart kind of needs to have a teacher and, and I I like that they're not going to just like replace her. I think it's, um, I think it's a nice tribute that they, they kind of retire the character and just let it stay as is. Um, and I think, uh, Anyone who's a fan of the show, you know, knows knows that Miss Krabappel is like such an integral part of the show, and she did a great job kind of establishing that character and making her feel like a much bigger part of the show than the teacher character might have ever had a you know part being. Certainly more than Lisa's teacher, who's also gotten some play, but not nearly as much as Miss Krabappel, who's kind of this like tortured soul who's kind of like a commentary on teachers, kind of. <laughs> not caring, like kind of being idealistic at one point in time, but realizing like the system is so fucked that it's like, you know, screw them. And the day, you know, the day it was announced that she died and I found out about it. I just, I went to my Simpsons DVDs 
and I pulled out Bart the Lover, which is the episode she won an Emmy for. Um, so, you know, I watched that episode and kind of what she's a, a, a big thing, you know, a big line in that is that she, um, you know, she says they're at a, they're at an assembly and like, she's like, all these kids are going to be pumping our gas in like 30 years anyway. And she, and the, and the fact that she's a teacher is just makes that so great. And I, I love that she's given up and I love, I love Edna and I love that character. And in later years, you know, they had her paired up with, uh, principal Skinner and later paired up with Ned Flanders, which is a much deeper cut. I think a lot of people might not even be surprised that they were together. But Flanders is now twice a widow, right? Well, you know, I don't know. I don't know if they're going to kill off the character. I don't, I don't know exactly how they're going to do it. Um, there was talk that the Simpsons were going to kill off a major character this year as like a plot thing. And they've already said that, you know, this was the plan was not to kill off Miss Cravapple. This, this has like nothing to do with it. This is just like kind of something that just happened. Yeah. Life getting in the way. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I don't, I don't think they're going to kill off Edna. I mean, they, you know, they didn't kill off Lionel Hutz or Trump right. McClure. Although, um, She's theoretically a more major character than most of Hartman's recurring characters, right? Oh, she's, I mean, she's definitely a more major character. Because think about, think about how much the show takes place right, in exactly. school, you know. And Bart's going to be in a classroom and there's going to have to be a teacher at the front of the class. So I, I, I'm, I'm not sure how they should go about doing it. I don't know how they're going to do it. Um, but I do know it's like a huge loss. And she was, she was a great, you know, voice actress. And she also, you know, she had a long career in TV before that, too. I think she was on the... Um, What's his name? Bob Newhart show. Um, so yeah, she was she was a funny lady, and I was I was surprised at how upset I was about hearing about this um, because yeah, I think that's a, that's a theme of of the people we choose to uh, eulogize in our occasional segments here on the podcast is the ones that really hit us harder than we were prepared for. Yeah, and you know, what I thought was kind of interesting when I was kind of just thinking about like, why am I like so upset by this? You know, she, she'd been sick for, you know, she'd been very sick as, you know, for some of her life. And, you know, she was 70 or 71, I think. Um, so it wasn't like, you know, Phil Hartman was like a tragedy. He was like murdered. Um, but this is still very sad. And I was thinking like, why was I so upset about this? Cause normally when I hear about like a celebrity, I like who passes away. I'm usually like, Oh, that sucks. Okay. And then I'm kind of on my way. But when I was thinking about it, Miss Krabappel has been on this, you know, the Simpsons pretty much, you know, from season one and the Simpsons has been on since 1989. So in my conscious life, I have not known the world without her, you know, being on the Simpsons and being on the show. I mean, the show's been, (laughs) the show's been on that long and she's been on that many episodes. So it's like a very, very familiar character who's been on literally my entire life is just gone. And and it's and it's not Yeah. And they can't really just like, you know, explain it away. It's kinda like, oh, she died. And it's it's a it's a very strange problem to have with a show that goes on for so long. I mean, she's been doing this role for twenty five years. You know, that's that's a crazy amount of time to do any one part. Yeah. And, th- and that's true of all the characters. I mean, it's it's nearly unprecedented. They're they're about to break the records, right? I think so. I mean, they they just got re-upped, I think, for another season or two. So, you know, the old joke, you can't stop The Simpsons. So, um, 
But yeah, this was particularly upsetting to me, and I, I definitely suggest uh, people watch Bart the Lover, uh, which is season three episode. So if you have the DVDs, I'd say go back and watch that one. That she she won an Emmy for her role in that, and it kind of humanizes her a bit. It's kind of how she's very very lonely, and Bart Bart plays a prank on her because she took away his yo yo, and he basically poses as you know a gentleman caller who is interested in her and she's very, very lonely and she kind of falls in love with this, this guy. And it's, it's a good, it's a very good episode. And anytime I look at the back of the Simpsons boxes, you know, from those years, this is just season three, every single one is a great episode. So that's the one I think people should be checking out. Uh, Marshall Walls. It sucks. Um, but you know, she, she will be missed. And I'm glad that she will live on through the show, as all of our favorite actors do. Yeah, absolutely. I I, I can't claim to be nearly as large a Simpsons fan as you, um, but I've seen a, a large swath of the show, especially, I, I'd say, all of its prime years at this point. Um, and she was always fantastic on it, and I'll definitely miss her as well. Yep. Uh, with that, I think I think um, we can do best by giving the entire news roundup over to her this week, and we'll move on. Um, we wanted to Agents of Shield, a show that I've been writing about over at Rebenamed.com all season so far, but that we haven't really talked about a superhero show by any stretch. But it is the first uh, Marvel cinematic. There are going to be several more in the in the years to come. Um, so it is you know explicitly tied to the Marvel thing over the past five years. Um, its continuity is wrapped up with the movies, and it's sort of trying to expand that universe. Um, it's not technically a Joss Whedon show, though it is being run by Jed Whedon, Marissa Tancheron, and uh, Jeffrey Bell, all of whom have previously either co-run shows or written on shows with Whedon. In some senses, it's got a, a, a vibe that's at least trying to mimic the Joss Whedon show, although I think we can talk about the effectiveness of that, so... Why don't we go ahead and start? Rachel, what do you think of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D.? So, I probably don't hate it as much as either of you hate it. Um, <laughs> no one said that I'm just hate gonna... yet. Oh, but I know it's coming. Uh, uh, do I think that particularly the main actors can pull off this kind of show and this kind of chemistry and this kind of wit? No. Um... Do I think that the writing is actually all that witty? Not so much. But um, I love Coulson. Um, I think that Coulson and the other older agent lady, what's her name? Uh, agent May. May? Yes. They are fantastic. Um, I don't even hate Fitzsimmons. Um, <laughs> Oof, yeah, you're in the minority. On this I podcast know. especially, my friends. I know. Um, I do think... The last couple of episodes, and Jordan, you're probably going to get angry when I say this. I think I've said it to you before, and you didn't respond well. The last couple of episodes, particularly, I think they're trying a lot to um, pull off a kind of Firefly vibe. Are they entirely succeeding? By no means. Are Um, they even remotely succeeding in your mind? No, not really. (laughs) Um, But I I think that the characters are getting a little bit more comfortable with each other. The last episode I actually hated. Um, Me too, but we can talk about that in a minute. (laughs) But I think that up until the last episodes, the characters were getting a little bit more comfortable with each other. Um, 
and I was liking it a little better. Um, I feel like it, no matter how bad it gets, it'll probably always be one of those shows that I just watch. Um, not saying that I expect it to last all that long, but um, I don't know. It's it's got pretty good yeah, ratings. Um, and it's got sort of muscle behind it, and it's on a network that I can see wanting to support a show that has good ratings. Yeah, but it's a, it's a very expensive show. I That's mean, true. It might have to do a little bit better than a super cheap show might otherwise have to do. Although it also serves as canny uh, cross-promotion for very successful film franchises that ABC's parent company has a financial interest in. So, for complex reasons, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. might be around for a little while. Or, you know, it, it might disappear after this year. I, it's got the full season pickup, but beyond that, who the hell knows? Um, Sam, what do you think of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. just preliminarily for now? I feel like I feel like it's kind of a, a noble miss on a lot of levels. I I like the idea that um, ABC was willing to put money behind making a superhero show. Um, the the two big problems for me is one, its production value. Even though that this show is probably one of the most expensive shows on television, the problem is even though there's so much money being pumped into it it still is going to look kind of cheap next to kind of what we know, what we got in the movies. It's still not going to like look all the way there. And I think it's, it's kind of hard for me to get over a little bit. Um, That's interesting. Cause I mean, you're a doctor who fan. <laughs> I am a doctor who fan, but the thing, the difference is I think doctor who is just a better. Oh, that's show. certainly true. Um, um, I, I just, that's, I, I, well, I that, say, that brings um, me to the production values of it. Of, it do, don't really bother me at all. I think they're, pretty good for TV, and, like, honestly, unless they're egregiously awful, they almost never bother me on a TV show. <laughs> Although, I'll, I'll agree well, with, I think, what your premise is, which is, like, a lot of it is hinging on this looking good. Since the writing well, it's is like not like as when good you're, as when you put the when you put, like, when you put, like, the Marvel stamp on it, and then it's associated so closely with the movies, like, I can't help but compare. Yeah. And, um... But really, that's that's like my aesthetic problem with it. The de- I mean, I can get over all of those things if if the characters were more interesting. Um, I, you know, I like Coulson a lot, but I feel like he's some he's somehow become less interesting. And I was listening. I think Alan Seppenwell said this on his podcast, but they've kind of made him an enigma in the way that uh, Stephen Moffat kind of makes the women companions on his shows enigmas rather than like full flesh characters, and that. Like, Coulson is now this mystery about how he, like, was brought back to life and whether it was, like, magic or science or some sick combination of the two. Um, I, I, I think, what's her name, Sky is kind of okay. All I really know about her is that she loves her van a lot. <laughs> um, Fitz and Simmons is just a mistake. They're like a walking mistake to me. Um, and I, I, honestly, I think they get worse every episode. <laughs> Yeah, and I really hate the guy with the jaw. What's his name? Ward. Ward. Yes. Ward is he can literally be replaced by a cardboard yeah. cutout and I think I've said those exact words in previous reviews. Um you know, it's like I guess I don't care how it looks if I really like these characters and the dialogue is not snappy enough and I feel like 
this is not a Joss Whedon show, and I've never really thought of it really as a Joss Whedon show because it 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 doesn't feel like his dialogue. And you can I think you can kind of tell that he's not really running the show. I don't think he is really. A, I don't think he's a showrunner. Either. No, I mean um, he he directed the pilot. So, I think he co-wrote the pilot, and then he I don't he hasn't been involved again since. Yeah, so he's he's kind of got his name on it, but that's it, and. You know, I feel like that is kind of giving it some mileage that I don't think it really deserves. Um, I don't know. It just it's it's not that interesting to me, and I feel like it's it's not going anywhere. I usually I'm usually bored halfway through an episode, and I feel like it's I think it's it's definitely been working on trying to get the characters to be a little bit more interesting, but they're just not there. I mean, I don't care about anybody. <laughs> yeah. Not even Coulson. I'll, I'll agree. I'll agree with you on the character front, especially yeah. I, like Coulson is a great character in the movies, but he hasn't done almost anything in the show to to like command my love for him. It's it's all coasting on fumes from how much I've I've enjoyed uh, Clark Gregg's performance in all the movies. I mean, he's not he's not right. bad in the show. They just haven't really given him anything to do except have a have like a, a mystery surrounding him and have a bunch of people from his past show up, which cannot be a plot point in every episode. Like. Yeah, it's usually every episode. It's like, oh yeah, I trained you in uh, the the jungles of Guatemala or something. We used to be lovers. You look well, <laughs> and then they fight each other, and it's like that's not good. Like you can't just like that's not real character development. No, that's to I me. mean it's incident. Just saying, right? like, like it's just this event yeah. happened at some point. Um, right. So we've talked. You've talked a lot about not liking the characters so much. I'll throw out maybe my uh, second biggest criticism behind that of the show so far has been. The, I mean, the plotting, but yeah, I'll, I'll start with the plotting, which I think like is fine in, tr- in terms of the fact that it's a procedural, um, if it's aping the Whedon format, all shows of his have really kind of started out as procedurals and developed into something more over time. Um, even Firefly, which was just a damn good procedural at its beginning. Um, so that, that's, that's fine and dandy. And it's at least showing some willingness to try different types of stories fairly early on, which I like. But I think the biggest problem for me is a thematic one. Uh, and I talked a lot about this in my review of the last episode, uh, The Girl in the Flower Dress, which is like every Whedon show, which this is clearly trying to ape, is in some sense about uh, rebels and outsiders fighting against the status quo. And Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is kind of about like the status quo being enforced and held up in ways that it seems to understand are a little troubling, but ultimately like it goes so far as to say, like, wow, isn't it kind of troubling that S.H.I.E.L.D. has, like, a pervasive security state and is, like, restraining people all over the globe? And then it shrugs and goes and punches things for a while. Um, so, it's sort of, it's relationship with the security state, and within the universe of the show, the security state is far more pervasive than even our NSA uh, security state that we live in currently. It's sort of, like, it allows Sky and other characters to to raise the question, like, hey, should we be doing this? And then it's like, well, there's a bad guy over there, and this helps us stop it. So I guess, yeah. Um, and that's like, that's an acceptable answer, but it's kind of a facile answer, I think. They haven't really explored what I, what I feel like is the central issue of the show, and they haven't really dealt with the fact that these people might not be heroes in a lot of people's eyes, and those people might not be wrong to think that. And so it's, it's become increasingly troubling for me, just as a TV show in and of itself, even though I don't care about any of the characters, and like the procedural elements don't particularly thrill me either. I'm I'm starting to feel like the agenda, the political agenda of the show, is troubling in ways it doesn't even realize. 
Well, to be fair, the the new Captain America trailer just came out earlier this week. Um, and we talked earlier very briefly about kind of like how the show and the, the films moving forward will play off of each other. Um, and we've heard that they're going to be pretty directly linked. Um, and if you look at the larger political context of the Captain America trailer, it's the exact same thing, right? It's like, where are the boundaries with S.H.I.E.L.D. and them developing these incredible capabilities to basically create a police state? Yes, in an attempt to battle this alien uh, offensive in multiple kind of iterations. And also, um, you know, like the big takeaway line, for me at least, in the Captain America trailer was um, Nick Fury's line that S.H.I.E.L.D. takes the world as it is, not as we want it to be. And I mean, in the trailer, you see Captain America struggling with that very, so, that very theme. So it's a matter. I feel like it's a matter of, you know, in the se- in this in the season in the show, we're more than setting that up. Um, and I imagine it will be teed up and ultimately resolved in the Captain America movie. But let me ask: Don't you think it should be reversed? Like the show has twenty two hours of television to deal with complex questions. The Captain America movie will have, like, you know, probably two hours, maybe a little over. Um, but the if they're trying to do something movies... complex with what Shield means for the world, I feel like that's a more that's a that's something that should be going on in Agents of Shield, the television show. Um, and the movie can play off that and, and deal with the question as well. But I just feel like it's silly to say like the show can have like squicky politics that it doesn't really pay attention to, so long as uh, a movie that comes out next year deals with the implications of that. Well, I'm not saying that I particularly enjoy that idea of the teeing up of the political question. Um, yes, the show has more episodes and therefore more hours, but I think that Sam already addressed the cons- this, this consideration of scale. And I think that's part of why the show isn't really pulling itself off right now, is we're all used to this kind of amazing, grandiose scale of the Marvel movies. Um, you know, you're talking about, like, some of the top-line actors working right now in these films. Like, the best sort of digital effects that you're going to get anywhere. And then it's like, oh, here, let's do this for an hour of television every week. I think that it's a matter, like, it's a proportional matter, right? Like, do you attempt to use the time to answer these questions? Or do you attempt to use the scale of the movie as, like, the way to hit it out of the park? And I think that that's kind of what's happening. Um, but I don't, I don't see how, why this, this question needs the scale, actually. I actually think this is the sort of thing you could do in a, in a back room or in the S.H.I.E.L.D. office buildings with almost no budget. This is, I mean, this could be a dialogue Yeah, but nobody, issue, right? nobody wants anything. to see it like that, right? Like, we're seeing... Well, then why do we well, have the show at all? I mean, that's a completely separate question, really. But I think that... The show, and I mean, there, I, f- I feel like it's pretty um, interesting that, like, the show is sort of taking back and, like, it's, it's, it is sort of happening in a back room of S.H.I.E.L.D. Like, yes, they're on missions, but, like, Nick Fury hasn't showed up yet. I think that he will eventually, but he hasn't. And He has showed uh, Yes, he has. Yeah, has he has he? showed up. He, he had, she showed up for the fucking blip. So if you watched it on... Stupid TiVo. It gets yeah, cut I didn't off see it either, but he did end. show up. And, oh, for a for the last episode. For a tag, uh, second episode actually. Oh, 
Well, yeah. And it was I useless, don't worry. I usually skip those last 30 seconds on Hulu as well. But whatever. He hasn't showed up in any, like, really useful way, at least then. And um, so you don't get the sense, while Coulson is, like, you know, near and dear to all of our hearts from the films, he's, it, and the, with this whole question of what is it, Fiji? Like, him getting sent to Fiji. Um, right. I feel like it's there's Tahiti, definitely a, but go ahead. Is it what? <laughs> oh, I thought it was Fiji. Sorry. Same diff. Whatever. So it's magical. But there's definitely like this sense of like, meanwhile, in this corner of Shield, that's happening, and um, we'll see that kind of opened up a bit in the film. I imagine. I, I don't so know. So insofar I think, as I think you that think this... that the, that like Shield is is all set up for the film, again, I have to ask like, then why am I watching it? Can I just go watch the movies that are going to be way better? Yeah, you could. So the show shouldn't exist, or like, what is it offering <laughs> you then? I guess because you like it more than Sam or, or I. It sounds like I just said I don't hate it. <laughs> well, I don't hate it. I did hate the last episode, but I don't hate the I show did, so yet. I don't hate the what show. What happened in the last episode? The last episode was the whole like Scorch, the guy who who could like throw oh, fire. Oh God, Scorch! They gave him a name. <laughs> they gave him a name, but like basically, what what Colson did is like. Oh, hacker, you made a mistake. So I'm taking all of your money and leaving you stranded in China. Like, and I'm supposed to go like, yay! Yeah, no, I mean, I think it's pretty, it's kind of, it's kind of troubling in that sense. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't really know what to do with it. I just know that it's sort of an hour of television I'm, I'm continuing to watch and I don't quite hate, but I don't really love. Like, I'm sort of at least at arm's length with the show. Um, Sort of because I want to give it a chance to be as amazing as everything I'm, everything I love about Marvel. Can just could, could Tom I, Hiddleston just come on the show? Yeah, I mean theoretically, yes. Although I this team's clearly not equipped to deal with a Loki threat. So I know. Here's what I don't understand: is if if such a big part of the show is about like how how normal humans deal with the post superhero world. Shouldn't the answer be they don't and they let superheroes do everything? Like, I feel like if Iron Man, remember when they went to like Guatemala or Peru or whatever and they had that like band of mm-hmm. militants kind of like hijack their plane? Uh, yeah, I think that was, I think that was like the third episode, maybe. Uh, yeah. I just feel like if Thor was there, it just everyone would just stop and they'd be like, you know what? This isn't even worth fighting. Well, but the idea of S.H.I.E.L.D. In, in the Marvel comics and in the movies is, like, Thor can always be there. Like, sometimes Thor's on Asgard, sometimes the Avengers are in space, or the Avengers are fighting somewhere else. Um, and, and you know, the world gets more complicated with all these superpowers and scientists and magic and all that stuff. So, I buy that the, the Avengers can't always be there. And I, like, I, Chris and I have this conversation all the time where I say, ultimately, all I need is the throwaway line of dialogue every once in a while, like, this seems like a threat that's too big for us to deal with. Why don't we call the Avengers? Oh, the Avengers are in another dimension. Yeah, like, but they'd have, but they'd be, they'd be saying that every single week, and then it would be like a joke. Well, not every week. Like I, f- I feel like you didn't need Iron Man to deal with Scorch. You could have, you just needed the, sh- the Shield team to go in. Like that wasn't a big enough threat to call the Avengers in for. Right. Okay. Um, and like that doesn't bother me. What bothers me is the idea that Rachel's been bandying about, which is like the the show doesn't need to deal with the complex issues. It can just, like, sort of hold the baton between for the six months between Marvel movies. I, 
and then like another movie will come but out. But I don't think it, I don't think it, it, it's see that's where like the production value comes into becomes a problem because it, on its own as like an action show it doesn't work. You know, it has to be something more. Like if Buffy was just about like the fight scenes, right, it would be pointless. And I feel like right now, if if uh, Shield is leaning so much on its action, you know, compared to I guess for network television, it's high budget or whatever. But it's, yeah, the, I mean, the action looks good enough to me, but that's not going to keep me watching the show. Exactly. The but that's the thing. Like, I'm afraid it's going to be, you know, it's going to be very episodic. It's going to be like bad guy with powers of the week. Or there's like a hacker they have to out hack, and we've talked about how uninteresting hackers are in movies and TV. Because what's more fun than watching someone furiously type and then say I'm in? Right. Um, I don't know. I I just like there's there's not enough like real meat in there, and I'm not I'm not like entertained by that the action and the punching as much. It's not enough to carry it. Yeah, it's not it's not smart enough. It's not funny enough. It doesn't have any weight. At the end of the day, you know, like if I don't care about the characters, if it's teetly dodging all the political and moral issues that it's that that it touches on, um, it's it's nothing more than like guys in suits punching people and sometimes girls in leather punching people, which like is fine if that's what you're looking for out of TV, but it's not going to be enough for me in the long term. Um, I'm not I'm not willing to say I've, I've turned on the show yet, although the last episode really did a lot to make me think I might. It could have been a bad week. It's still early enough in the going. Like, Angel hadn't really become a great TV show at this point yet. And that's, like, maybe my favorite uh, Joss Whedon show. So, like... Yeah, but the big difference is Joss was running Angel. And I think... Joss is not... Joss is not writing. I I don't know that I'll ever be able to let go of this show as, like, a failed Joss Whedon ripoff. Because, ultimately, he's not here. But everyone that's running the show is acting like he is. All the character types are Whedon character types. The basic structure of, like, a, a team who doesn't really like each other thrown together every show. It's, like, it's just a Joss Whedon show that's not good at this point. And there's no way I can stop comparing it to Joss Whedon the Hughes to them. Mm-hmm. But as long as it does, it will be found wanting, I think. Because it's just, it's not as good as yeah, any of Yeah, I definitely shows. remember saying while watching, I'm like, Joss Whedon is not walking through that door, gentlemen. Like, they have what they have. Right. Um, and you know, to be fair, like it, I'll, I'm definitely going to give it the rest of the season. Oh yeah, um, I, I mean, I'm writing about it, so obviously, right. it, it may end up being like when I wrote about the first season of Glee, where I just get increasingly bitter until finally <laughs> my my commitment to write about every episode of the first season is satisfied, and I never have to watch the show again, which is what I did with Glee. But I'll definitely be watching the rest of the season, and I hope I haven't lost hope that it will get. Do you think if it becomes less episodic? and more of a serial, do you think that'll improve it? I think inherently I will be more interested in the plot, whereas here, in any given week, I'm like, okay, that's the plot. I can figure out basically the how this is going to resolve itself. But if there's an ongoing plot, they might at least, like, the, maybe the show will get really good at plotting. And, you know, if it's thematically uh, lightweight, if the characters don't matter at all, but if at least it's telling an interesting plot story, and there are, you know, fine action sequences, maybe that'll improve it. I don't think I don't think that plot alone and serialization alone can make this a great show. Um, Maybe they should just do what Buffy did because I mean, if you look at like the first season of Buffy, it was very like episodic and monster of the weeky. But I think like as it got 
as it moved a little bit away from that and maybe they had like a big bad kind of connecting things kind of tentatively, you know, more to- more than, you know, more so at certain times than others. But if they had like something like a big bad connecting it, you know, something that that makes me want to kind of keep coming back every week because so far what they've given me with kind of these superhero of the week has been really, really lacking. And it's like, well, we did it, guys. We're a team, and we're going to have to work harder as a team because we're kind of ragtag, right? Because <laughs> so. ragtag makes it interesting, right? Like, if we were just a great superhero or a great shield team, then this wouldn't be interesting. Of course. I also have problems, like, inherently believing they're ragtag because, like, Coulson, who is, like, what, the highest other than Samuel L. Jackson? Uh, and and, and their shield. He's, like, third, I think. Well, Colby Smulders, I'm sure, is going to be on the show at some point, so they're not going to be that... The idea that they're ragtag and they're like agents of shield. Yeah. You know, it's it's like they're like the highest profession. It's like we're the ragtag CIA. Right. It, well, and that's you know? that's another problem is like in, in addition to the, the, the theme being that like they uphold the status quo and they do some squicky things in the process. They're not like the show wants us to buy them as like a ragtag team that's been thrown together. But like this is like the best of the science division and like the greatest <laughs> field agent in the history of the organization and Coulson as, like, one of the greatest tactical minds. And it's just, like, you can't really sell them as, like, not great as a team for that long before I go, so S.H.I.E.L.D. is just incapable of, like, interpersonal relationships and they don't know how to run an organization? <laughs> and, I mean... Yeah, you think, you think a, an organization that has, like, the billions of dollars it clearly has being funneled into it, you think they'd be a little bit more together than they are, but... You think they'd have, like, a corporate retreat where it's, like, <laughs> Coulson and Ward throw a ball around... And also, you well, think, think they would have they could... better hackers than they could just find in a van somewhere. But she's the best, and don't you care about, what is it, the rising wave, or what is it? The rising tide? The rising tide. No. Who gives a shit? I care about them only insofar as I actually think, like, there's an interesting dynamic between S.H.I.E.L.D., security state, and people not being okay with that. Like, that's a cool question to raise. They just never figure out how to do anything interesting with it once they've raised it. Well, hopefully it'll be um, So yeah, I think the show the show has a long way to go, and it has to get better at, and at least one, preferably two, or all three of the dimensions we've been talking about to, to become something that's really going to be worthwhile long-term. Can um, they fix Fitz and Simmons? So it's, their, their creation is a gimmick. I mean, that's like, it's such a hard... Like, I think they've kind of drawn themselves into a corner there. Well, here's the thing. Fitz and Simmons are very much like the the Topher on Dollhouse character right now. And Topher on Dollhouse kind of sucked at the beginning and eventually became one of the most interesting characters in the show. So, and part of that is Fran Krantz is an excellent actor uh, and was able to add some depth that the writing eventually caught up with. But part of it is, I think, eventually they started to develop the character and they figured out what they wanted to but do But isn't with the them. problem with Fitz and Simmons is they, like, made one character two characters? <laughs> yes, but they could make each of those two characters their own character eventually. But they're I don't always know that I trust together. Them to do they're it. finishing each other's sandwiches. <laughs> and yeah, maybe maybe like Fitz will realize he loves Simmons or something eventually. And I don't know. That sounds terrible. But <laughs> but that's the <laughs> problem. Like, what are you going to do? Have them get together and they'll be like, "Now our last name is Fitz Dash Simmons." Fitz Simmons. No, I would rather. I would. I would rather like the Tesseract technology come back and, like, explode both of them. <laughs> and they're like, we got a new person. Or, like, yeah, like, or it combines them through, like, a, like it's like a, the fly situation where they, they teleport and they're combined and they become Amy Acker. Like, Ooh, that would be really That fun. could save them. 
That would be fun, uh, but also a very transparent way of showing, like, we fired these people. <laughs> <laughs> they no longer have jobs. Well, they're like, neither of them is a very charismatic performer, um, which doesn't help when all they're being given is, like, fancy-schmancy exposition. It usually goes, Fitz or Simmons will go, the doohickey is attached to the wahickey, and then a uh, jawline over there is like, English, please. I and then the other one's that. like, the doohickey is attached to the wahickey, and then they're like, what? And they're like, English, please. And then they'll do the exposition. Yeah. And Which also, like, like to exist in the real world and be at the professional level we're supposed to believe they're at, they would have to be able to explain science to regular people. <laughs> like, how did they get the job if they can't, like, communicate to people in Coulson's position? Also, how are the people who are listening to them so stupid that they can't follow along? Yeah, that too. I think that's much more troubling. Not that they can't dumb it down, but that the other people can't, like, smart it up. Well, I don't think we're supposed to take uh, Agent Ward as particularly brilliant. Although, maybe we are. There's so little personality to him that I don't have any idea. I have no idea. The only way I can describe him is brown-haired. Yeah, like, his character trait is, like, he probably wants to have sex with Skye. I don't even think it's probably. I think it's definitely. Yeah, but I just don't care enough to to go so far as definitely. (laughs) Like... I can't remember the last time I cared about a will they won't they less than I care about Sky and Ward. <laughs> and the answer is probably think, they I'm will. Think now. And it won't be interesting unless either. So I don't know. We've probably reached the point where we're just ranting at this point. Do we- First of all, I didn't say that the show didn't have to deal <laughs> with the complicated political issues. I'm just going to throw that one out there. I, I didn't I didn't mean to put those words in your mouth if it sounded like I did. Uh, number one. That's number one. <laughs> number two. I agree on the Ward and Sky stuff. They're kind of just like terrible. Both of them, I think, are terribly cardboard and pretty boring, at least. Is I mean, anyone not in your mind? Simmons have funny accents. Uh, By funny, you mean... British, I mean English British. and uh, Irish? Yes, or? yes. Is it one of them Irish or Scottish? I think Fitz is supposed to be... I mean, Fitz is an Irish name, in theory. <laughs> I, t- I don't. I I haven't listened to anything he said in several episodes. So. No, I think the show's got a lot of work to do. I think that it's got to kind of like get over its own issues with this attempt to kind of set up a grandiose universe in this episodic, but like never going to adjust to the scale of television sort of universe. And I think that the characters definitely need to start being way more human for the show to get interest, like to actually be interesting. So um, I don't know. I think that it's kind of a victim of its own of the comparisons that it's trying to draw, um, and it's coming up just terribly short, both in terms of being a Marvel property and being a Joss Whedon property. Um, so I think it needs a lot of work. Fair enough, uh, Samuel. Uh, I think Joss should quit doing movies and just come back to TV. <laughs> That's what I think. I mean, I wish. And I do, like, I've, I've liked every movie that Joss Whedon's directed, but I would still prefer to have him running a television show. Though, this is actually, this actually might, might work as a good transition point into our next topic, but I want to, is there anything else you want to say before we move on? Nope. Cool, well then I'm going to use that. Um... <laughs> Which is, I've been thinking about a lot about this. There was a, there was a conversation when Breaking Bad uh, 
was coming to an end. There were at least one article that I read, and I think there were several more, talking about how they thought the show should have dealt more with um, the effects of Walt making methamphetamines on methamphetamine users and um, and the drug culture generally and the effects of like substance abuse on people's lives. Um, to which, I don't want to put words in Vince Gilligan's mouth, but as I recall, Vince Gilligan, or at least people defending him, said, that's not the show he was making. That's not the story he was telling. Um, this is something that comes up, I think, all across culture, whether it's like people telling Lena Dunham she needs to make girls less white or, um, you know, things of that nature. There are other examples I'm sure we can come up with as we're, as we're going along. But it, every time I, I, I come back to it, I find myself in an interesting quandary that I wanted to sort of bounce around with you two for a little bit, um, which is, on the one hand, I feel like it's every creator is telling whatever story they're telling. It's their individual right, and, like, by virtue of us letting them create their TV show, we kind of have to say, okay, like, you get to tell the story you want. I can't expect you to make the TV show I want to be watching. Um, On the other hand, I wonder if there is some political or moral responsibility for people in those positions to either, you know, to address these sorts of issues, whether it be, you know, the effects of drug use uh, in Breaking Bad or diversification of television generally in something like Girls. Um, So I just kind of wanted to throw this topic out and see see what you guys uh, were thinking about it. Sam, why don't we start with you? Well, I think the first step would be, I wouldn't be so interested in telling, like, people you are responsible for, you know... I, w- I wouldn't tell any showrunner what they, they're supposed to do their show about, but I do think it's important for networks to try to get like a diversity in type of in creators and showrunners because I think that's how you're going to get different stories being told. I think what you find is people seem to feel like the same stories are being told over and over and things are being ignored that shouldn't be. And I think part of that is because most showrunners are white guys, you know, white middle-aged guys. And they might, you know, be more interested in telling, like, a certain type of story. And just, you know, in diversity <laughs> diversity of different white guys, you look at someone like David Simon versus someone like David Chase. David Simon is a person who comes from a world covering crime and, and drugs. And David Chase is interested in telling different types of stories. And what you get is you get different types of worlds. And you don't need to tell either person, you know, you should be telling the story of drug dealers and how you know, how hard it is and how the drug war is like an empty war. I think that if you have a diversity of talent, you're going to get a diversity of issues. And I think you're not going to need to, you know, wag your finger as much. I think a big problem is that we're going to, we're getting a lot of the same views. And I think, you know, something that's important is like having more women be showrunners of shows because then I think they're going to be better at telling stories about women. And then, of course, you know, they're going to be criticisms of those women because they're not going to be telling the right stories or whatever people want to complain about. But I think part of it is like opening up television and all media to more people and you're going to have a wider breadth of stories. Because I think I think a big complaint now and I I think this came with the end of Breaking Bad is that we're getting tired of middle aged white antiheroes who are men and. I don't think it's not a coincidence that the people who are writing these, you know, who are running these shows are white middle-aged men. And I feel like it's important when you have someone like Tina Fey, who's like, I'm going to make a show about a successful, talented woman who's running her show. And granted, you know, it's kind of a wacky comedy. That's her world, which is fine, but it's a different view. 
And it's the same thing with Lena Dunham. She's telling her story and you're getting a diversity of stories there. So I think, I think it's more important that, you know, we, we have more diversity on the higher up levels in terms of the creative. Granted, I don't know how to do that. <laughs> That's it. Yeah, well, that I think we can dig dig a little bit more into as as we talk here. I, I mean, I, I think you're absolutely right that that the more and different people in showrunner positions and and even below that in writers' rooms. You know, I think I think different things would have happened on any of the shows we've discussed and any more we can think of if there were just different people in the room and people with different life experiences in the room. Um, exactly. Well, like when people are saying, like you don't like television does not represent, you know like the black experience well on TV, you know, do we, do we blame, you know, do we blame Vince Gilligan for not making that story? I think, I think we need to blame like the higher ups, not like reaching out and like trying to find more diverse talent pool. Cause I'm sure it is out there. Oh, yeah, I agree and I think that. those stories are going to be told. Right. I think, I think that's, that's right. And I, part of the problem is I feel like people are laying the blame in the wrong place, but, but the other part of that is, you know, when you, I think when we, when we widespread say, well, we can't blame any individual creator for telling the story they want to tell, we sort of end up blaming no one. Um, mm-hmm. And that becomes problematic. Before we, before we dig deeper into some of this, Rach, I wanted to get your initial thoughts. Yeah. So I don't actually, I think that right now we're seeing, we're starting to see a very interesting shift in what Sam was talking about, right? And like, there being more and more showrunners, show creators, um, of color, more and more of them are women, and we're seeing a lot more interesting stories starting to pop up. I think that like there's still some trouble to work out in terms of the archetypes of the characters, um, but I think it's getting there. I think the bigger problem, in all honesty, is not necessarily that there aren't show creators out there who are women, who are people of color, who are coming from different like backgrounds and telling different stories. I think honestly, the problem is. Um, studio and network executives not being those people. Um, yeah, that's that's basically what I was trying to say. Yeah, and therefore not finding a certain level of resonance in those stories. I think that's changing. I think that over the course of the next couple of years, it will change even more. Actually, um, I wanted to bring up uh, an interesting BuzzFeed article that I read about something like this. Um, I don't know if either of you guys saw it, but basically um, it's this article article by uh, Nicole Perkins, the BuzzFeed contributor, and it's called It's Time to Say Goodbye to TV Strong Black Woman. Um, and it talks about Olivia Pope from Scandal and the Lieutenant Abby Mills from uh, Sleepy Hollow, which I, full disclosure, do not watch. I don't watch Sleepy Hollow, but I do watch Scandal. Um, and it t- I watch Sleepy Hollow, though I'm several episodes behind right now. <laughs> And it's a really interesting piece that talks about the the kind of stereotype of um, the strong black woman character, right? How women, uh, black women on TV are kind of all suffering and they have to bear an incredible burden and stay strong and they don't get to have needs and feelings and how there are these two characters. And actually a lot of people have commented about how annoying it is, specifically in terms of scandal, how Olivia has a tendency to cry a lot. And she has these really ridiculous relationships with men. And this season, we're starting to kind of see why, I think. Um, But I think that this is actually a huge deal. And the author of this article agrees, right? Where it's this idea that 
there can be strong black female characters on screen who do not have to hold up the weight of being strong black women for everyone. Um, and they can be people instead of being strong black women, um, which I think is an interesting shift and something that we're seeing a little bit more. I feel for Lena and girls, I think I'm going to stop watching girls just because I'm not loving the show that much. Um, but I, I mean, we've talked about this before on the podcast, right? Where it's people kind of say, oh, you are a woman with a capital W. You must tell <coughs> capital W women's stories and not just your story, um, which I think is just as bad as having a but laugh. But that sort of what you're saying? I don't, I don't want to put words in your mouth. I'm and sure I, you'll I, do I read again. the article and I think it's more what the article's saying. But like Shonda Rhimes is running Scandal. And I feel like Shonda Rhimes, from all I've read uh, interviews with her and all I've read uh, and seen of her shows, is a strong black female character telling a strong black female character story. Um, also, I, I, I found the article kind of specious on the idea that, like, it basically drew on these two characters on television right now, which is kind of a narrow pool to, to pull a trend out of. But, like... Well, the article actually doesn't just talk about two characters. The article talks about a couple more characters, but it talks about a couple of characters on television who are stuck in the strong black women past. Um, and yeah, I'm not using the article and the argument that the article lies out as exhaustive or completely comprehensive by any means. I think that sure, it yeah. is going to take a number of years to really look at how this is working out on screen. And I mean, you mentioned Shonda Rhimes being a strong black woman kind of represent like everywhere you look now, there's an article quoting Shonda Rhimes. Like if there's an article being written about the representation of women or racial minority groups on television, Shonda Rhimes is being quoted. Like she's definitely being slotted into this sort of role. Um, right. which in and, and of itself and seems kind of like this weird self-fulfilling, like, it, I don't know, it's, it's really strange to kind of put these two pieces together and be like, oh, well, are her, her characters are supposed to be skewing this kind of role, this kind of cast, but she seems to be filling it in like the TV world, not like the TV on screen world, but the TV behind the screen world. So like, how do you kind of push those two pieces together? And I'm not sure. Um, I'm not speaking at all for, like, Shonda Rhimes. I'm kind of just looking at what, how I'm interpreting what's on screen. Um, sure, of course. So, I don't know. I think it's definitely interesting. I think that Shonda Rhimes is an interesting character. I think that she did a lot of interesting work with Grey's Anatomy. I'm sure that you guys have never slash don't watch. I liked, I liked Grey's Anatomy very much until I stopped watching it but that was after the third season, so I have no idea where it's And honestly, even as a show, you're kind of just like, what the hell? And she's like, and we've talked about this too on the podcast, right? Where she said, oh, Grey's Anatomy could go on forever. Scandal, I know exactly how I'm going to wrap it in a nice pretty little bow. Um, but I think that Grey's Anatomy has kind of just done, has done a lot in terms of introducing characters who are incredibly diverse um, but who still aren't tokens. I don't think that there's ever right. been a token character so much on Grey's Anatomy. And mind you, that's because, yes, they are all incredibly racially diverse, but they are supposed to be the leading surgeons in their field, and therefore that limits them in a very different way in terms of their representation. And because of that, I think it's actually quite interesting that it seems to be a pretty honest depiction. Um, 
But I, I don't know. I think it's, I think that Shonda Rhimes, her kind of behind the screens persona aside, is doing some pretty interesting things with race and diversity on screen. Um, do I think that they're, I think bringing this back to the ultimate question of what this segment was supposed to be about, um, do showrunners have a um, sort of moral responsibility to portray that? Um, I wish a lot of showrunners were better at it. Um, but, you know, it's always been a thing, right? You always, you're supposed to write about what you know. Um, and sure, Shonda Rhimes isn't like a surgeon. I'm assuming that the guy who makes Gilligan doesn't make like yeah, isn't a meth cooker. But like at the heart, a good show isn't about its premise; it's about its characters and the way that they work together. And I think that that's what you have to know. Um, So I wish that showrunners and writers and television executives would give more space for that, Um, because I do. Again, going back to the first premise i do think that there is a certain sense of moral responsibility um especially in a medium like television um maybe not maybe the words moral responsibility are too strong but i i i am highly aware of the power of those of television and the power of film and of music and really of pop culture in general to change minds and form attitudes um and i wish that people in pop culture were more cognizant and aware and active on that than they necessarily tend to be. I think it's changing. Um, I think you have huge communities of people, especially, I don't wanna like be that hokey girl who like talks about the power of the internet, but like I think that with the way that the internet is changing the way that we watch television and the way that the internet is changing the way that people respond to television, I think that that kind of has to change. Um, and I think that that change is ultimately going to be for the better, but it's going to depend on how well it's handled. So there's a whole lot in what you just said. Um, I want I want to start with uh, by saying something I think is at least how I respond to Shonda Rhimes, which is like sort of similar to the point I think uh, we've been making this whole time, which is she has a lot of pressure put on her by the media because she's like one of the first prominent, you know, black women to be running several successful TV shows. Um, and I think that one of the ways you solve the problem of all of this being pinned on her and her having to, to bear the brunt of all of this is just have enough where it's no longer, you know, surprising that a black woman is running a show. Um, and that there are plenty of voices you can go to when you want to talk to someone who's having that experience. So, like, I mean... The basic point I want to make there is, again, like, if we just work on, on diversity behind the screen, I think diversity in front of the screen will be better. And But ultimately, I don't know if that solves the problem. I think it solves the problem on a wide TV, uh, like, on a TV-wide basis. But I don't know if it solves the problem on any individual show. And I guess um, we all agree, it sounds like, and either of you correct me if I'm wrong, that greater diversity behind the screen is going to, uh, behind the scenes, is going to cause... Uh, greater diversity in front of it and is going to generally be better for television as a whole um, from diversity perspectives and from, I think, every possible artistic and aesthetic perspective. Um, The more different perspectives you bring into entertainment, the better entertainment is likely to be because you're just going to get a lot of different things um, which tend to, even if they're not all successful, at least be somewhat interesting to, to check out. 
But I want to I want to narrow the question for a minute uh, and and talk about specific works of art and whether uh, Rachel, this is sort of what you were getting at at the end, I think, of your uh, um, last several <laughs> points uh, um, is is the idea that on an individual show, there may or may not be a responsibility from someone who is in uh, in power and um, who is running a show to deal with these sort of issues and to try to be better than just writing what they know. Um, an example of this that I, I've come back to several times is, um, and this is not exactly in point, but I think it's, uh, it illustrates what I'm trying to say. Um, Dan Harmon running Community, who is back on, you know, he's returning a showrunner this year, or when, it come, when the show comes back in January, uh, and he's spoken out a whole lot about his thoughts on uh, what happened in the period when he was not running the show and his thoughts on people he's worked with when he was running the show, um, his fights with Chevy Chase, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and while you can question the amount that's affected the show, and I think it has affected the show in a lot of ways, some of which are good, some of which are bad, um, I think it illustrates that, that a lot of people in the showrunner position feel like they've got themselves a bully pulpit and don't necessarily use it for anything other than uh, sort of addressing what they feel like have been slights against them. Um, and I love Dan Harmon. I think he's, he's, I don't want to throw the word genius around too lightly, but I think he's brilliant in a lot of ways, but I do think he, he uses his position as a showrunner to kind of shut down conversations that are critical of him. Um, and I worry that that's something that might go on on a lot of other shows slightly less publicly. Um, Sam, what are what are your thoughts on this? I'll, um, I'm not really sure. I mean, it kind of sounds like we're talking about ego now. Um, well, I, I want to look a little bit closer at, so I think we all agree generally how we could theoretically solve the problem, but I want to talk a little bit about quote unquote moral responsibility. As Rachel said, I think it's, uh, I want to talk about how we deal with this on an individual show. Hmm? Well, I don't, I, I, if you're talking about Dan Harmon, Dan, Dan, Dan Harmon's responsibility, I think is to make a good show. And I think I think that's what he's probably most concerned with, and I'm and I'm sure you know part of his mission is to maybe make a show that says something about you know relationships between these types of people or these people specifically. But I think that's the goal of his show, and I I don't think he can't be everything to sure. everyone, and I don't think every show can be everything to everyone. Um, <laughs> you know, otherwise nothing would work. <laughs> I think I think I think part of the problem is I think shows. Even even shows that seem to have very broad things. I mean, like shows like The Sopranos. I mean, it covers like so many things. At the same time, it, it, it can't be everything to everyone. And I think all it can do is be responsible for the themes that it wants to touch on and the stories it wants to tell. Um, I, I mean, I don't know. I don't know if I can blame showrunners for wanting to have kind of a specific vision on these sorts of things. You know, if they if they don't tackle an issue on their show, I mean, is that why we watch TV? I mean, ultimately, we watch TV to be entertained and maybe and hopefully, you know, to learn something about people or relationships or that sort of thing. But we can't I don't I think it's too much to ask to depend on one show to hit on everything. And sometimes shows don't want to hit on really anything. Sometimes shows just want to be kind of stupid and fun. Um, And I think that's okay. I, I'm not sure that we should be looking for television uh, to saw, like to be the moral authority on everything, because it, something's always going to be left out. Like your example with like Breaking Bad, like it's not telling the story of drug addicts, even though it kind of does with Jesse. But 
you know, why should that be the show's responsibility just because it's a show about drugs? I mean, it's a show that also deals with a lot of other things It it deal. It's a show about hubris and that's that by itself is a lot covers a lot of, you know, a lot of space, I think. And I think it's unfair to ask the show to, well, you have to be this also. I mean, you have to show this experience. I agree with you, Sam. I think that, um, kind of asking television to proactively be a kind of moral authority, moral center, moral compass for people is the wrong way to look at it. Um, and I've actually said this a number of times in terms of (laughs) children and parenting today, in terms of like, uh, you know, your television is ultimately not a babysitter. Um, or more more correctly, your your television is ultimately not a parent. It can be a babysitter. Um, I mean, the television was my babysitter, and I turned out just fine. Okay. Um, <laughs> but this idea that, like... Up for debate, up for <laughs> up debate. Up for debate. Um, but I think that the point that where I see more of the power of pop culture to be a... Um, a like a, a, a tool for... Oh, God, this sounds so progressive communicatory the way that i see television as a real opportunity to be a vehicle for change is not by making it a proactive moral authority but by recognizing the power of the medium to ultimately again like i said before kind of like change minds and set behaviors um and whereas i don't think proactively like the guy who made Baking, Baking, Breaking Bad had to sit down and be like, okay, so I'm going to look at every single angle of, like, drugs in America and, like, drug dealers and drug addicts and drug mules and the war on drugs and all of that. But I think that there is a certain level of responsibility in terms of how that portrayal happens. And mind you, I have not watched Breaking Bad, so I can't talk specifically about how that occurred. Um, but I think that there is a sort of sense that, like, you need to understand the power of the tool that you're working with. Um, kind of, I mean, and this this is a little extreme, so bear with me. Like, just like you need to understand, like, when you get behind the wheel of a car, what you're kind of dealing with. I think that, I, I wish that more showrunners and show creators um, would kind of be aware of the power of what they're working with. And the way that I put it is, like, use their powers for good instead of evil. Um, I think that when you, you know, going back to Jordan's um, point on community and Dan Harmon and, like, this question of ego, yes, like, there's, like, I think that's mostly using your powers for evil. Like, sure, the show is funny, and I think that it's, I think that the conversation does get a little bit more, get get a little different when you're talking about a comedy versus a drama, Um, and especially when you're talking about, like, a shorter sitcom-type feature versus, like, a longer network or cable show um but yeah i think i wish that people would be more cognizant of like just like i wish that people in everyday lives like everyday life would be more aware of like the words that they use and what they mean i wish that um the people who are making television would recognize what a powerful tool it could be it is and could be um and i think that we're kind of seeing that a little bit more um with sort of adapting plots and themes and and such to kind of be a little bit more directly referential. Um, not 
not really any more so than ever before, but um, in a way that's more connected, I think, again, talking about the internet, yada, yada, yada. I'm rambling, so somebody else should probably go. <laughs> I think I think the uh, the solution is probably somewhere between the, the position I stake out uh, to uh, tell a television showrunner to make the show you want to see. Like, I, I feel like, I feel that's true, and that's like, you can't, like, the whole Breaking Bad should have been about this thing just drew, drove me nuts, because it's like, no, Breaking Bad was a, like, a really good show about the thing it wanted to be about. Um, and I don't think that people in the culture, ha and, and even viewers, have the right to say, well, I think the show should be about this, so it really needs to, to work on that. Um, however, I think, Rachel, you're absolutely right, that showrunners can and should be more cognizant of the power of the medium and the power of the story they're telling, and also, I mean, as much as we kind of, we've elevated the showrunner to the status of auteur uh, for television, and we say, like, you know, a, t a TV show is, is one man's vision or one woman's vision, um, mostly one man's vision still. Um, and it's, it's not, you know, ultimately. And I like, I like shows that are sort of driven by one strong creative voice. Obviously, we were talking about Joss Whedon earlier and, and how his lack is felt very strongly in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., um, and, you know, I'm, I'm sort of taken with the auteur theory in film. I, I kind of like the way that, that we deal with that. But in a TV show, you have so many more hours and you have a writer's room and so many more voices in the room that it seems like if you put the right voices in the room and if the man in charge, and hopefully more often in the future, the woman in charge, is willing to listen to those various voices, I think you're going to get some of, the, some of this perspective that we're looking for in the show just by virtue of having more people in the conversation. Um, so I guess that kind of brings us back to the global point we were saying earlier, with the more people in the conversation, um, the better the show and the better TV is going to be, but maybe on the more individual level of, hey, showrunners, like, you can, you can be, you know, a huge amount of control over every aspect of your, of your show, but maybe, like, listen to other people while you're doing that and, and keep an open mind. Um, and I can't, I can't command that, and I don't, I don't want to command it. I think, like, I think about Weiner... Um, doesn't listen to who he doesn't want to listen to, and makes a great TV show, and I, I don't know how much of a problem I have with that. But as a, as a should, you know, as, as a normative, I think, it wouldn't be a bad thing if showrunners kept an open mind and, kept, and, and thought about things like this um, when they were going about the process of making their shows. Um, we should probably wrap this thing up. So, Sam, do you have any last uh, things to add? Anything that you think we've totally missed or uh, misconstrued? Yeah, I, I, guys, I think we solved TV tonight. Um, nope, I think please. we got this one pretty well wrapped up. Wait, I have one more thing. So I think that part of what makes, especially this this entire conversation centered mostly on television. We didn't even get into like music or movies, really. Um, and I think that what makes television so great, and this is going to sound really cheesy, um, but what makes television so great is that like you bring it into your home with you like so my music my music doesn't come into my home i feel with like me? it's a much it's it's different though because it's, <laughs> i know it's, i'm just it's, being a, <laughs> it's a much it's a much you are always a dick so fuck you but it's a much different it's the name of jordan's autobiography i know i'm just being a dick <laughs> but like it's something that you you stands everywhere it's just it's a, it's a powerful tool for storytelling that you bring home with you. I think that's why you're seeing more and more people kind of demanding more and more from shows, right? Because especially with the ability to kind of watch, you know, you binge watch, you get closer to kind of, you feel like you get closer to characters and yada, yada, yada. It's a whole thing. But 
I think that that's why people think that they can demand more of shows. Do I think that that's right? Like, definitely not. Um, uh, but I think... Um, I'll step in I'll step in real quick if I can um, and say maybe it is insofar as I think before we can have a situation where people request, like we are sort of coming around to, you need the people, you need someone yelling and saying, pay attention to this problem. Um, and like, often those arguments are framed in, in, in people feel like, they're entitled to at least be noticed. And I think that's always right. Um, so as, a, as we've been having this conversation, I, I still think that the Breaking Bad should be more about uh, the effects of the math is is wrong and a little nuts. But I do think, like, if we have people demanding this, eventually we'll get to the point where people can just be requesting it and it'll and it'll be more mainstream. And we can, you know, I think, I think you sort of have to almost, arguments often have to start in the extreme so they can work their way to the middle of the road. And I also think, yeah, and I, I think that that's a good thing, right, is, like, if more and more people demand, specifically in terms of the Breaking Bad example, like, if more and more people demand a show about the effects of drugs and drug culture on drug users, I think that's, a, like, actually a show that could be really interesting and really resonant and actually talk about a really serious, you know, problem and situation in the country and I would be really interested to see that so maybe if enough people demand it coming off of Breaking Bad somebody some brilliant showrunner some brilliant writer some brilliant show creator will like make that show and then people will love it and it will be great and it will be it'll fill that quote-unquote void um yeah hopefully right maybe the person who makes it won't be a white guy that would be nice. Um, so, okay. Any last, any last things you wanted to tie up, Rich? Well, that's that's a running theme of the podcast, yep. both for our listeners to discover and for you to remind them. Um, I can't, I can't do a whole lot about that. I mean, I could try, I guess. Like, I should keep an open mind to your criticism, much like we'd like our showrunner. But also, you're pretty terrible, so I don't know if I'm going to. Um, with that. I think we can go ahead and wrap up the show. Um, as always, you can reach out to us to tell us how wrong or right you think we were on whatever, or to tell us we should talk more about something. You guys you guys could be our writer's room and tell us there are issues you'd like us to, to, to discuss in the podcast that you haven't seen yet. You can talk to us uh, on Twitter at ReviewMeNamed. You can email us at ReviewMeNamed at gmail.com. You can come to ReviewMeNamed.com and just comment on random articles till someone notices you're there. Um... As always, you can also, probably that's not the most effective way, so really, like, just don't do that. Um, also, homing pigeons, uh, messenger people, like, none of that is the best because we haven't given you an address or anything, so just just do do the things on the internet. That's probably what I would suggest. Um, we'll be back next week, and as a reminder to both you, uh, Sam and Rachel, and to you listeners, next week we'll be... <laughs> to both of you listeners. Yeah, to, to both of you listeners, and it's just... It's just Sam and Rachel listening to this, let's be honest. <laughs> like, we release and, and, this and then you guys and listen I, to it. And, and Sam, I don't know about you, but I'm barely listening. <laughs> um, what was that? But anyway, a <laughs> uh, reminder that we will be returning to the Review Name Movie Club next week uh, to discuss with Nail and I. So um, that's on Watch Instantly. You guys should watch it instantly so that when I give my speech next week about how if you haven't seen this, you should jump off before spoilers, you will not have to jump off and you can listen to us talk about the movie. Um... With that, this has been the Review Name Podcast. I have been Jordan, and, well, class, the history of our country has changed once again to correspond with Bart's answers on yesterday's test. 
America was now discovered in 1942 by some guy. And our country isn't called America anymore. It's called Bonerland. Land.